All right. So my first question for you is the athletes that you've been able to see, you've seen tons of them throughout your career. What are the top five that come to mind? Yeah. I mean, that's really hard to just pick a couple. Um, so if I could do like seven or eight, that would probably be more ideal just because I'm covering like seven sports Trey. So, yeah, you know, if I go sport to sport, uh, I'll start with football. I, I probably go Larry Rose the third, and I know it wasn't the best Aggie teams, but some of the performances he had on the field were just remarkable. And I feel like, you know, if he could have been on the teams the last couple of years, um, the attention he would have got, what he could have done, uh, would have been pretty remarkable. So Larry kind of sticks out for me for football, uh, volleyball, probably Gwen Murphy. I think that was during okay. your time a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Gwen was just a, a phenomenal athlete and a really good player on some really good NCAA tournament teams. Uh, basketball, Brooke Salas on the women's side. Um, you know, she's one of the best players, probably top two or three best players in the history of the program. And I got to call all of her games for four years. On the men's side, it, it's almost impossible to limit it to just a couple. But if I had to, uh, Siakam, of course, I came in when Siakam was here. I uh, did not know that he was going to be this good in the NBA. I don't think anybody knew that yeah. on the New Mexico State side. Uh, Jamario Jones, what he got out of his frame at 6'3", 6'4", 160 pounds was was cool to watch. And then uh, softball, probably Kelsey Horton. Uh, you know, when Kelsey did not hit a home run, you were surprised. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, in, in the way in the way opponents pitched to her, um, there was so much respect from the opposition. And she's one of the best, if not the best players in the history of that program. Mm. And then baseball, um, you know, it, it was the same time period, right, with Gonzalez and Ortiz and Bradish. I think you have to mention all three guys. Um you know, what those three guys did here and then what they've done professionally beyond New Mexico State has been uh, really cool to see. No, absolutely. So you've gotten some really big time because I almost it's funny because whenever I got to New Mexico State, it was 2010. And you really don't think at that time beyond basketball of really greatness, maybe softball. But then we move into kind of this new era, and we've seen football do well. Soccer girls have been phenomenal as well, right? I mean, there's just a lot of excellence going on through New Mexico State. Where do you think that pivot happened? And maybe is there a, a culture change? That's a good question. Um, you know, I came in, Mario Mocha came in two months after I came in. And, um, you know, we just started winning a lot. Yeah. And of course, uh, Chris Jans, you know, Paul Weir, the one year before that, Marta Menzies went to a lot of NCAA tournaments. Um, you know, what Jerry Kill's done with football the last two years, um, you know, is unprecedented. And you mentioned softball, you know, Kathy's been consistent in softball and it, it goes to coaches too, right? I mean, Mike Jordan and Kathy Rudolph, both coaches have been here for 20 plus years. And when you have that kind of consistency in a program, you can build a culture over time. And then when the players come in, uh, they know what to expect. And it's harder now with the transfer portal and with NIL, um, you know, but I, I think winning's contagious um, in a place like New Mexico state, the coaches know each other well and they support each other. Mm. And I think if, if you're, you know, the baseball head coach and you see basketball doing well, or if you're the basketball head coach and you see soccer doing well, I think um, there's maybe a domino effect at a place like this where, it's a smaller department. Um, it's a mid-major and a lot of people know each other and when it can be contagious. And that happened, you know, probably starting in 2000, I don't know, 15 or 16, you know, a couple of years after I got here, 
um, you know, it just seemed like everybody was winning and it was yeah. cool for me because it made my job a lot easier when, when programs are winning, um, there's a lot of good things to talk about. No, absolutely. Okay. So guys, thank you for checking out the all sports best podcast today. We have Adam young on, um, I actually have, it's hard to list out what you do. You do play by play, you do video behind the scenes interviews. What do you not do for media at New Mexico state? I mean, it's, it's truly a lot. Yeah, I appreciate it, Trey. I mean, it goes back to being at a mid-major. You just have to do a lot. Um, my background coming up was in minor league baseball, which is good because when you work in minor league baseball, even if you're the voice of a team, that's not the only job you have. Mm. If you want to be full-time in minor league baseball, I mean, you're the mascot sometimes. You're the community relations director. You're the media relations director. You sell. Uh, you speak at engagements. You do everything. So that background really helped me here because I've been able to kind of capitalize on the opportunities available here where they let me do seven sports. Um, yeah. I'm doing the coaching show on radio. I'm doing a lot of content. I'm doing all of our podcasts. I mean, I built our podcast platform basically from the ground up, mm. um, during COVID. So, um, and then we've done a lot of video, you know, content as well. It's a little bit harder because you are at a mid major where, um, you're limited in resources, but, um, you know, I take a lot of pride in, in the work that I do and the place that I'm at, you know, I, I love being here. I love representing the brand yeah. and, um, you know, I, I like being at a place that allows me to do this many sports because people ask me all the time, how many sports do you do? And I say seven, they're like, how do you juggle that? And, um, it's tough, but it's also what I want to do. I don't want to be minimalized to just a couple. I, I'd rather do it this way. Um, and try to be as versatile as possible. Adam, for you, it all started with a summer ball team from what I did yeah. some research on. Can you throw it back to that time and maybe some of the things that you still <laughs> have today that you learned or maybe adjusted? Yeah, Trey, I mean, I graduated on, uh, I guess it would have been a Friday or a Saturday. And the next day at 6 a.m., I was driving out to Fayetteville, North Carolina. Oh. Um, I had accepted a, a summer collegiate job Wood Bat League um, back in January of my senior year of college and true to form and how this business works. I mean, they had me doing work months in advance and I mean, it was low pay, but I was the voice of the team. Uh, I was their media relations director. Mm. Um, I did, you know, I did some sales. I did some community relations stuff, speaking engagements. I did everything. Um, I mean, I cleaned bathrooms. I, picked up trash in the parking lot the day after games. I was wow. squeegeeing the concourse during rain delays. Oh yeah. It was, but you know, it, it was one of those deals where I loved it. It was probably one of the most important summers of my life because I understood that, okay, there's way more than just the nine innings you get to call, you know, during the course of the game. Sure. And, um, I embraced that. I didn't complain about it and I got to do, you know, a baseball game every single night. So I was in heaven. It, it was awesome. Uh, the, the team name was the Fayetteville Swamp Dogs. It was in the Coastal Plain League, a really good summer collegiate league. I got to saw, I got to see a bunch of future big leaguers. We had one on on, on the team that I called games for, uh, Carter Caps. Um, okay. Carter was an All Star a couple of years ago with the Mariners. And cool story behind that. Um, so he pitches in the big leagues for seven or eight years and i mean he was throwing 97 back in college and he was a converted catcher so he was still in the wow. infancy of, of pitching and he is now the pitching coach at seattle university in the wax so a couple of years wow. ago 
um, Carter shows up and I, of course, had done some research and saw that he was their pitching coach. And I went down there and he said, I know you. And I said, yeah, I, <laughs> I, uh, I called your games in 2010 for, you know, three months. And he's like, that, the fable swamp dogs. And we talked for a while. It was cool. I mean, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, you get to know them a little bit and you follow their careers, whether it be in baseball or just in life. And, um, you know, you build relationships, even though you're only with them for a couple months. Yeah. So with all of the jobs that you did that summer, was it by design? Like they, they wanted you to go ahead and do these things so that you had more material to speak on, or it was just like, Hey, we need a guy that does everything. Everybody there did everything. Okay. I mean, it's such a small front office. Yeah. I mean, um, in reality, I think they had, you know, three or four full timers. The, the field manager for the team was also the general manager um, you know, the way these operations run, Trey, it's just, it, it's small operations. They rely heavily on college kids or people just out of college who are trying to, you know, get that break. And same goes for the broadcaster. Um, you know, I, I got to host a, a TV show though, or in Time Warner Cable in North Carolina, um, through that. I mean, there were so many good things. That's really cool. That it, it, it outweighed all the, the tough stuff. And then, mm. Uh, you know, a quick story behind that. And then the summer ends. So I go back to St. Louis. I got a bunch of co uh, college gigs lined up and uh, a job opened up with a minor league team that I had uh, interned with two summers prior going into my senior year, um, an independent baseball team, 20 minutes from home. Um, they had a really good setup where they were on an all sports station for their games on radio. And the guy who had done it, one of my mentors, um, basically stepped aside after I think 12 years and he, he had taken a full-time job at a D one university over there. And I interviewed for the job and, you know, with these jobs, everybody and their mother wants it. And there were people way more qualified than me, a 21, 22 year old kid who was just getting a start. Sure. And, uh, I go in the interview and, and I literally told the general manager, I will clean bathrooms and <laughs> clean the concession stand. And he looks at me, he goes, excuse me. I was like, I was just doing that in my last gig, you know, like I, I had, that was part of it. And he's like, so you'll clean like bathrooms and clean the concession stand. And I'm like, Hey man, I just want a chance to call games. And that's cool. I left the interview and I'm like, what, what the heck did I just do? Like, what, why did I say that? And he calls me two days later and he's like, Hey, I, I, I love your energy. I, I love like how, how much you want this. And you are not the most qualified person on the air, you know, age or experience, but I'm going to hire you. Wow. And I got the job and it wasn't based off that, but he, he could see that I was going to work for it. And I was yeah. not going to complain about anything. And it was a full-time gig and it was a huge break in my career. It's probably the biggest break that I've had so far. And it's led to a lot of other stuff behind it, but you know, you have to be a team player. I say this all the time. Like nobody wants somebody with this big ego that says, this is what I do. I will not do anything else to help the team. Right. And um, I view it as a team. You know, if we're calling a game on television, it is a team effort. If, if I don't perform at a high level, we're going to struggle. If our camera operator doesn't do that, or if our producer struggles or so on and so forth, it's a collective effort in so much that we do. Um, and it goes back to, you know, those early days when I, when I had to do a lot and, and I was okay with it, you know, especially early on. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of being on a team, chemistry is huge on the air, right? Uh, radio play by play or being on video broadcasting, those types of things. Who are some of the people that you've had a chance to work with that you feel like maybe you remember that because it was just so smooth. 
Yeah, I mean, I have unbelievable TV partners um, that I get to do games with. You know, like I said, I'm doing seven sports and across the board, I have great relationships with all of them. And a lot of them I've worked with ever since I got here. So that makes it so much easier. And if you're doing television, Trey, as opposed to radio, with radio, the play-by-play person has to cover so much ground because the person can't see what's happening. Mm. So you're trying to get in, get out. Yeah. The color analyst has you know, a small window to talk. Or in TV, we can talk over action. It's okay. We'll have replays. We can talk over that stuff. So my job is to set up my analyst and try to help them be the star of the show. And I have analysts that either played or coached at an extremely high level. And I'm not the expert. And I tell them that all the time when they come in and, you know, they ask for advice, like, what do I say here? What do I say there? And I always tell them, Hey, talk about your past experiences. You know, you coached in an NCAA tournament or you played um, against Nebraska, Danny, my, my color analyst, you know, in football, it's like, you have these experiences that I don't have. So my job is to get the nuts and bolts down and then to set it up for you. And mm. I mean, I, I can't say enough about the analyst I've worked with um, here. And then, you know, I do a lot of freelance stuff too. And that could be a tough part of, of this is when you kind of parachute in and you meet somebody for the first time and it's like, okay, let's go do a game together. And oh. you need to know their background and kind of, you know, strengths and weaknesses. But um, that's a really tough part of this business sometimes is when, you're doing freelance stuff and, and they're also freelancing and you're meeting them for the first time before you call a game. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I also kind of wondered because when you have chemistry, it's easy, right? Whenever I say something and, and you can kind of tell I'm, I'm handing it off to you, you know what my cadences mm-hmm. are, you know, kind of how that works. But if it's brand new, there's a lot that, you know, you have to do to adjust yourself. So is there any like tried and true methods that you've used that it's like, okay, there's, I can tell it's about to be dead air almost immediately. I'm just going to pick it back up or it's just natural now. Good question. That's really hard, especially when you're working with somebody new. Um, with the analysts that I have here, like I said, I've worked with all of them pretty much since the start. Um, there's a couple of them that came in a year or two later. So I know when they're going to talk. They know when I'm going to talk. It's, it's pretty much um, carefree during the course of a broadcast. But if you're doing a tournament, especially, and, and I've done a lot of conference tournaments, especially for the WAC, where you're working with an analyst, maybe you haven't worked with before, and you're doing 10, 11, 12 games over the course of three or four days. And by day three yeah. or four, you're finally getting that rhythm with them. And then it's over. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it takes time. You know, it, it really does. It takes time to pick that up. And the cool thing about this, too, is the analysts that I work with, they are not trained broadcasters, right? Mm. They're doing this because not because they want to go to ESPN and call a national championship. They're doing this because it's a cool little side job and they played here or they coached here and they have that resume to do it. So you have to keep in mind as well that, you know, these people aren't used to somebody talking in their ear, like a producer is telling them something while they're talking that can spook them a little bit. Yeah. Um, so you have to help them along, you know, as, as time goes on because they don't have that experience like I do. And they weren't trained to do this. They didn't go to school for this, all that kind of stuff, um, which makes it unique in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I was also wondering kind of building off of the dead air type of thing is, how much time you dedicate towards vocabulary. I'll catch myself saying, getting a lot of the same reactions, you know, and I'm like, dang, I shouldn't have said absolutely for the fifth time that podcast, you know, 
What do you do to practice? Do you sit there and kind of like go over things or it's just over time? That's a good question. I actually have a play-by-play thesaurus sheet for every sport I do. And I don't know exactly how this started, why it started, when it started. I think it was actually my first or second year out of college where I just one day during the off season, I, I just went to work and I wrote down all the different ways you can say a rebound or okay. um, a pass or a shot or a miss or describe the floor. And it's one of those things. It's actually gone viral around the country. And a lot of broadcasters use, use the same play-by-play the source sheet um, that I use for basketball and baseball and football. And it's just, it's one of those things where it's so important in broadcasting that you don't repeat um, the same stuff over and over. And I think where it came from for me was back when I was doing minor league baseball, if you're calling a game every night and let's be honest, if you do a minor league baseball, um, it's probably a niche listenership. A lot of the people that are listening are family and friends of the players. And they're trying to keep close tabs on what, you know, Bobby's doing in St. Louis during his, you know, pro days. And, if they're listening to you every night and they hear you describe a ground ball to third the same way for 105 nights out of a summer, they're going to, you know, be annoyed. Right. I mean, yeah, sure. you have to keep it fresh And like, so, I mean, I do the same thing when I'm on a broadcast and I critique every game I do, um, you know, with, with a baby now, it, it's a little harder to, to go back and, and listen to every single game or watch every single game in in full in its entirety, but without fail, I'll go back and watch stretches and listen to stretches of every game I do just to make sure I'm not getting in any bad habits. Wow. And it it might seem like nothing to a general fan. Like nobody's probably going to notice that Adam called a rebound, you know, um, he corralled it three straight possessions. Nobody's probably going to notice, but I notice, and there's a million different ways I can describe how he got that rebound. And, um, that means a lot to me. I I think this is to a lot of people, you know, it's, it's like a hobby or whatever, but you know, to me, this, you know, I take it very serious and, um, you know, I I try to be the best I can be every single night. So if if you want to be really, really, um, polished at this, you you need to go back and, and listen to your stuff and watch your stuff after games. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's just crazy to think that you've, did you create the, 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 the thesaurus that's out there? Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. It, 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 they're just nobody had really done it, so it's made its rounds. There's this um, publication cool. called Sportscasters Talent Agency of America, and um, they have it up on their website. So a lot of uh, young broadcasters, especially especially young broadcasters, will pull it each year. And I, I share it each year on social media before, like basketball. You know, I'll, I'll post on social and say, "Hey, you know, here it is for for anybody that wants to use it." And um, it, you know, I, 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 it's not much, but I, I do think it helps people. Um, so I do look over it before almost every game. Um, I'm not looking at it during a game and saying, crossing off crowd, cleared, you know, snag yeah. the rebound. I'm not crossing them off as, as the game goes on, but I do think if you look over it and refresh it before the game, it, it's in your mind and it'll be a little easier to vary your vocabulary during the course of the game. So it's not your bingo card, just going through it. It is not my bingo card. No, <laughs> but it could be. Yeah. You know, if somebody wants to grab a copy, it could turn into a bingo card if they're watching back at home. Absolutely. So actually, um, with that, do you could you off the top of your head go over how many different words you have for shot in basketball? What do you have? Uh 
Yeah, I mean, as far as make a shot, sure. is, that, is that what you want? Yeah. Uh, connects, drops in, splashes, he got it, um, knocks it down, uh, bang, yes, sir, uh, bullseye. Wow. Yeah, that is a, You've got it. You know, You've got it. Miss, I miss misfire, shallow, short, back rim, heel, um, skips off the rim, rattles out, rattles in, swirls away. You know, it's just it's it's ingrained in your in your brain now. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it you can't get too crazy with it. I remember um I was doing a game on radio early on in my career and I and I said somebody had a yo-yo dribble and it's like they're standing there and just dribbling it up and down like a yo-yo. Sure. And my parents listen and watch every game. And my mom after the game said, Hey, I got a question. Um, you were, you were saying somebody had a yo-yo dribble. What does that mean? And I'm like, and I explained it to her and she goes, Oh, that makes sense. And I'm like, yeah, but if she can't figure it out and she's a very smart sports fan, if she can't figure it out as I'm calling a game on radio, why am I describing that? So mm. I haven't used it since I've heard people wow. use it, but I haven't used it since. Cause you don't want to speak over a listener's head or a viewer's head, right? I mean, you try to keep it as basic as possible. And I've heard broadcasters do that too, where they use words and I'm like, what does that even mean? Sure. So you want to try to keep it as basic as possible and not speak down to your listener or the viewer, but not also um, try to do too much. You don't want to make them feel like they just can't keep up. Cause that's the whole point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about it all the time. If I'm doing a baseball game on radio, for example, and people say, well, w- what are you thinking about whenever you're sitting in a booth by yourself and calling a game? Like, you're basically talking to yourself. I'm like, yeah, I'm talking to myself, but I also envision that I'm talking to somebody driving around town listening on the radio, Yep. right? Um, and they need to know what the inning is. They need to know what the score is. Maybe they missed the first four innings. What the heck happened if it's 11 to 10, which – at Presley Askey Field in the fifth inning, 11 to 10 is highly possible. Right? Hell yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, recap. I mean, there's there's a lot of different um, nuances that you put yourself in their shoes. What would they want to hear? Or what would you want to hear if, if you were driving around and you missed the first four innings and you have no idea what happened as you pop in the car, but you have an interest in the game? Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think about that often, especially when I'm doing it on radio. When you talk about the time that it takes in a game, you know, some of these games are very long. Football games take a while. Baseball games are insane sometimes, especially when you say Mm -hmm. 11 to 10 in the fifth inning. Yeah, that's a long game. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you do some types of exercises geared towards this, like breathing exercises, cadences, paces that you use to make sure that you're not losing breath on air, especially by yourself? Honestly, it's... um a lot of conference tournaments Trey where I'm calling four games in a day sometimes wow. and you try to take care of your voice as much as possible um so you'll suck our lozenges um I, I use these extra strong lozenges that somebody introduced me to them back in the day they're called fisherman's friend okay and they taste awful but <laughs> they are really really good to keep your voice going and okay. actually a lot of um a lot of singers use them when they perform so I'll use those during the course of a game. They are life changers, game savers during the course of a conference tournament when you're doing four games one day, three games the next, two the next, that kind of stuff. I've done a lot of that. And um, so I don't think there's anything particular that I do. Um, 
you know, I stay away from soda, you know, you just watch what you eat, watch what you drink and make sure you're taking care of your body and your voice properly going into it. I don't do any breathing exercise or, um, you know, I'm not in the booth, you know, like Ron Burgundy, you know, saying a bunch of different words, trying to get prepped for a broadcast <laughs> oh, necessarily. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you just try to take care of your voice as much as possible. Um, you know, I, I've been at this for a while. It's, it's hard to imagine. I mean, I graduated from college in 2010, so you just pick up different stuff over time, yeah. I, I think. And, um, you know, I call the game speaking of, you know, voice and trying to take care of it. I called the game on, uh, December 30th, right out of Christmas. And, uh, I mean, I went into it with almost no voice wow. and it, it, I've never called, I've never called off for a game. And I almost, I almost pulled the trigger on this one and I got done and I could barely talk. So, I mean, you know, you kind of got to, um, figure it out as you go. Right. I mean, sometimes broadcasters play hurt a little bit too, right. It's not just the players and, um, you know, but you, you, you realize how important the voice is, uh, for, for what we do. And, um, you know, you just try to find ways to get through it. Is volume control pretty in, important as well? Like not oh, screaming in a goal? Okay. A hundred percent. It's it's where you can distinguish um, maybe the more inexperienced younger broadcaster from somebody who's maybe more of a vet. Um, I screamed a ton early on. Everybody does. But you learn over time that screaming is not helping. Um, sure. You try to control your voice. You want to, of course, have high energy and all that kind of stuff. Honestly, and I'm sure you're going to probably talk about this later um, as far as like the best moment that, you know, you have. And um, my, my, my call that I'm the most proud of is the Johnny McCants buzzer beater, because mm. it would have been really easy to lose my absolute mind over it. And I stayed controlled. I stayed composed. And that's not a pat on the back to me. That's just, I, I think I was ready for a moment and, um, you know, it took time. I mean, I, I, you know, I, if you go back and listen to my tapes early on in college and out of college, I'm, I'm sure I screamed a ton, but that's the call that I'm the most proud of because if you look at the technical side of broadcasting, like don't scream, don't say too much, don't make the moment about you get mm. out of the way. Um, I was happy with that call and there's a million, you know, game ending plays or whatever that I've called that I'm like, oh, man, I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have done this. But that was one where I'm like, I'll take that. Like I, I didn't scream. I got out of the way. Uh, economy of words. I didn't say much. I didn't need to. And, and our, our crew was awesome with the pictures on TV where, you know, you got to see the guys dogpiling. So yeah. um, to kind of get off topic a bit, you know, but stay on topic as far as screaming. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, you know, I, I can't, I, I don't like it when I hear a broadcaster screaming. Um, it's just, you know, control your voice. Um, there's no need to scream. You know, it's, it's um, your voice is an instrument and use it properly uh, whenever you're calling a game. All right. So when you go to these games, uh, a lot of times media has hospitality rooms. You have a media credential. They've got something for you, especially in tournaments and things like that when there's a lot going on. What do you do? What's your method in those hospitality rooms? Do you have a go-to drink or food that you love or how does that work? It's interesting because I, I get this question a lot from people. Um, and back when 
I was coming up when I was in college, I got the opportunity to cover the Cardinals, the Rams and the blues for the, for the college radio station I was at back in St. Louis. Mm. And, you know, the spread of the Cardinals games was awesome back when the Rams were in St. Louis. Uh, the spread for like a, a noon start was just the best breakfast you could possibly have the face style. But now that I do play by play, I, I rarely, if ever eat anything or drink anything, um, at the stadium. So, I'm one of those people where I know if I'm doing a football game, I'm going to be on the air for probably three and a half, maybe four hours, depending on how the game's going. And I don't get a break. So if we go to halftime, I'm still covering halftime. If we go to commercial break, that's two minutes. Um, So, I mean, I am really watching how much water I drink during the course of the game. Mm. Um, You know, these hydration packets are, I think game changers for me too, because I can drink one of those during the game and, um, you know, I'm not going to get dehydrated if I'm not drinking a ton of water. Okay. Um, I really, really watch what I eat on game day. Like before a game, I am, um, I, 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 there's very few things that I will eat during, um, the day before a game. Uh, so just cause you just know, you can't go to the bathroom. You're going to be in a spot for a long period of time. Even if it's basketball, um, it would baseball, you know, who knows, right. If it goes extras, you could be there for four and a half hours. Yeah. Um, so I don't get to partake in, in the hospitality food all that often. Um, you know, I, I do think back to the days of when I was in college covering the Cardinals, the Rams, and the Blues, though, and those professional spreads were were next level. I mean, it was I bet. it was good food, especially for a college kid who didn't have a lot of money probably and, and was looking for uh, a good meal. Um, but, you know, the best hospitality food since I've been here um, – are probably at the conference tournaments. Um, okay. Usually, at, you know, the WAC tournament usually has pretty good meals. Um, so I, I, I think about those conference tournaments probably more than anything. The bowl games have been pretty good the last two years um, as far as the food they feed you there. Um, it's a little more than what you would get during a regular season game. So, yeah, yeah that's that's my best answer. I wish I, wish I could say, you know, <laughs> this place has good food or that place has good food, but um, – you know, I, I don't get to partake very often. It's a risk. Definitely a risk. It is a risk. So yeah, it's, it's a big risk. And, and, you know, you don't, you don't have a studio or an analyst that can just take over and, yeah. um, you know, let you, uh, let you, uh, break for, for 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. You'll have fans wondering where this guy went. That was the guy what's going on. Right. Yeah. Right. So when you get into these booths, um, uh, obviously there's different levels of, of booths, right? So how well it's, you know, set up the space, the air conditioning, even, you know, noises in the background. I'm, I'm sure there's a thousand variables that comes with each different booth. Do you have a favorite or a couple of favorites? And then maybe, uh, this was the worst experience. I got a lot of bad ones. Oh, okay. Um, I probably won't call out. I probably won't call out many venues. Uh, when you do minor league baseball, it is completely hit or miss. Some okay. are great, some are not good. Um, and I'm sure the players could talk about the travel experiences too, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's when you're doing minor league baseball. Some hotels are good, some hotels aren't because the visiting team usually gets the hotel for the uh, team coming in. Um, probably the best booth. I've done a couple of games in the SEC, Missouri and Kentucky for football. Uh, Kentucky was pretty good. Mm. Um, honestly, I mean, I, I really like our view at New Mexico State for football. It's it's open air, but it's like the perfect spot. You're not too high. You're not too low. 
Um, I really like that spot for calling football. I really do. And that's not me just being biased. That's sure. It's important to be at the 50 yard line, not be too high, not be too low. Um, so I, I really do like the view um, for football games there. I'd probably say Kentucky's probably the best. Um, Mizzou is good too, um, but I, I'd probably favor Kentucky. And then when I think back to my early years, um, I was doing Division II baseball tray on the roof of the basketball gym at the place I was calling the game. So really? I did uh, games. I did games at McHenry University. It's in Lebanon, Illinois. It's just outside of St. Louis. Um, and when I was coming up right out of college, I was doing all their sports. And they didn't have a press box for baseball. So they had us set up on the roof of the basketball gym. So you'd have to climb the ladder uh, wow. to get to the roof. And I, I hate heights, so that was a tough deal altogether. Uh, so you climb the ladder and you call the game up top. And uh, you're in the elements. Like if it's 30 degrees in February and they're playing a home game, and it, it's not fun. That is a nightmare. But, um, yeah, so it was okay. It was a decent view, uh, but for somebody who doesn't like heights and is climbing that uh, that ladder with stuff strapped on your back on your back, that's it's a tough one. Uh, so I, I think of that. I, I could list off five or six ballparks that you know were a little dicey back in summer collegiate wood bat league and then in minor league baseball. But you know you, you make it uh, what it is. Uh, sometimes you get your own booth. Sometimes you're calling a game in the middle of the entire press area where everybody's at people are talking, people are having full on conversations. Um, I did a conference tournament a couple of years ago where we were outside for this softball tournament. Um, and there was no shade over us. I did not have a hat or anything. And my head was like oh. completely sun. Like I, I had like the worst sunburn on my head cause I got like no hair. And, um, yeah, that was tough. Like my eyes were watering. It was so bad. It was so. I mean, I've you're in the. I mean, and if you're doing a conference tournament, you're you're out there for like ten or eleven or twelve hours straight. That's yeah. just what you're doing for an entire day. Um, I remember one time called a baseball series at Sacramento State. No press box. Calling the game in the concourse. Didn't bring a hat or you know sunscreen or anything. And my head after day one was fried. So. You have to bring what you need for the elements, but sometimes you don't know what you're getting into. Sure. Yeah, and I don't think I've ever seen you on a broadcast wearing a hat, so that's that's a rarity. I guess you had to adjust on day two at some of these places, right? It was a rarity, yes. <laughs> I uh, I think I actually, yeah, I think I actually put a towel on my head because I had a towel for oh. my equipment. I think I put it on there um, at one point late in the first in the first game. I, I, I just remember... Uh, people coming down to me saying, sir, um, do you need like an umbrella or something <laughs> like your head is getting fried? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you got something, yeah, uh, people were concerned for me. I actually, this is funny, Trey. I, and I, I this is no knock on UNM, I promise. Uh, but UNM has a very small press box for baseball. And I think it was my first year. Um, my first year here, we we're up there and, you know, it's windy and, you know, March, April, and, it was like 40 mile an hour winds and uh, they, they got me a tent, but the tent was like lifting up as the game's going on. And I'm like, this tent's going to blow, it's going to blow over. And uh, I think they went and got the tent and took it away. But um, I mean, if you're doing a game at UNM, you're calling the game from the bleachers basically. Okay. 
which, you know, it's people complain about that kind of stuff. And I'm like, if you want to do high school sports, people are calling the game from their pickup truck and just different, I mean, different stuff. Cause in high school, you know, not everybody has great um, facilities. So it is what it is. You just get through it. You try not to think about it, but I'll never forget that UNM baseball game because that tent was coming up and I'm like, this is, this is not going to end well. And, um, well, the game ended and and I came out just fine. I'll <laughs> That's never good. forget that. Yeah. They didn't yeah. take you with it, huh? Um, yeah, no, yeah. there's definitely windy games, um, over there. A lot of windy games in, in Las Cruces as well. So you're used to the wind, just not being exposed to it at that level. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm cool if, if I'm inside in the press yeah. box when it's windy. Sure. Um, but yeah, you know, it makes for some interesting games. I, I didn't know until I got here how windy it was, like during baseball and softball. And if that wind's blowing out over at the baseball field on a Sunday, I mean, it, you walk in the door and you're like, we could be here for a while. Yeah. Now games nowadays, Trey. I mean, it's 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 amazing how the pitch clock has changed things. Because um, you know what used to be a four hour game has sped up to like a three hour game. I mean, it's, it's games move swift now. That's um, huge. so that's, that's been a huge change. Yeah. All right. So you've had a chance to call about different athletes. We talked about this at the very beginning of the show. Uh, you know, some of your favorite athletes or some of the best that you've seen. Uh, but every time that you go out there, especially on a video, uh, broadcast, you have to come up with some research. You're, you're talking about different athlete stories and maybe, Hey, I talked to so-and-so before the game, those kinds of things. Is there any or a few stories that, that stand out and you're just like, I remember this guy because this happened to him or anything like that. Ooh, I, I think the Nick Gonzalez story of just how he got there and how he progressed is probably the coolest one to tell nowadays. Because who would have thought New Mexico State would have a top 10 pick? Right. And who would have thought that New Mexico State would have a top 10 pick that, you know, was a, a walk-on originally, a preferred walk-on. So his story is cool. Um, Daniel Johnson's story, I don't know if many people know Daniel's story, but um, Daniel was cut from New Mexico State at one point, yeah. went to a JUCO, came back, basically knocked on Brian Green's door and said, hey, they told me to come back and – um, you know, goes out there and turns into, you know, a, um, what was he, uh, a fourth round pick, if I not fifth round pick, I think, um, in um, a big leaguer. So yeah. baseball probably has the craziest stories. I, I, I don't think there's, um, you know, other sports quite like it. Uh, Kyle Bradish had one division one offer. Um, crazy. I mean, and now he's in the Cy Young race. So the, the next story is unique. Um, Daniel Johnson's story is unique just because they were walk-arns, right? And if you're a walk-arn, you're supposed to not be that good right. and eventually get drafted and, and make that your career as a professional baseball player. So those really stick out uh, to me. I don't know if I could think of any other ones. I mean, Larry Rose III had one FBS offer, and they wanted him to play defensive back. I mean, we were the only school that offered him to play running back. Um, at this level. So, I mean, you come across stuff like that all the time where, um, you know, the kids um, came here with little interest and had a chip on their shoulder and then made, you know, a lot out of it, right? Yeah. When they got here and they kind of played that way the entire way. But there's been injuries, right? Where somebody maybe tore their ACL early on in their career, or had Tommy John or something, and then bounced back and, and found a way to um, finish off their career on a high note. 
but I, I think the baseball stories that I mentioned probably stick out more than the others. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the Daniel Johnson because I was around at that time playing with him um, on both ends before, when he got there and then when he came back. And I just remember this small kid that can run and could throw a ball over 90 miles an hour, couldn't find the strike mm -hmm. zone, throwing it at the backstop. And it was just such an interesting thing because he was such a nice guy. And still to this day, you know, you could talk to him yeah. at any time. But when he came back, it was just a totally different, totally different player. And he just developed mm -hmm. like crazy. So it was, that is a really good story. And so it's kind of cool that I, I actually know exactly what you're talking about. It, it, it's cool, too, with uh, with Daniel, because I think one day really changed his life. And he had a great, a great uh, junior season. Like he posted really good numbers, but he got drafted that early because his pro day was ridiculous. Ah. Um, from what I understand is you know, they clock you from center field and he was like 98 miles an hour mm. and the scouts are like, okay, so if it doesn't work with the bat, we're just going to put him on the mound yeah. and he's left-handed and we'll see if he can pitch right at single a and it worked with the bat. I mean, he had a really good, um, you know, career and is still playing to this day and still, I, I think he'll probably get back to the big leagues at one point. I mean, he was in El Paso last year, at triple a. So it, it goes to show like one day can really change your life. He was going to get drafted but his pro day was ridiculous and it basically turned him into this top six round pick that, that everybody wanted. Wow. That's crazy. I did not know that. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. You have seen some really cool stuff. Uh, we talked about the McCants moment was a big moment for you, um, in terms of just being able to be on the call. Um, but you've seen a March madness win. you've seen the 2023 football run. I'm not sure if it was 2022 or 2021, but the WAC champs or WAC tournament champions for baseball and then um, WAC champions for soccer and softball's WAC dominance. What would you say was maybe the most impressive to you? I th that's got to be hard. <laughs> that's really hard. Um, probably the coolest game I got to call, I think, just take out McCants the McCants buzzer beater. The coolest game probably was the 2017 bowl clinching game against South Alabama at home to get to the bowl game where you had to win. Uh, and if you win that game, you get to a bowl game. And there's a cool story behind that. Uh, you know, we're playing South Alabama. Uh, the final drive was bonkers. Like, I think they brought up the chain gang at least once, maybe twice just to measure. Wow. And I'm like, of course we have to go through this. And the game ends and, the crowd was awesome. We're trying to find a place to go eat. I had a couple of buddies from college in town and everything's packed. And we finally get in this one place and um, the TV's on and Scott Van Pelt comes on with sports center and Van Pelt leads off sports center with our post game interview with Doug Martin that night. Wow. And his preface was, you know, people say there's too many bowl games. There's, there's not too many bowl games. Doug's emotional in tears post game with us talking about how much this means to him, the program, the university, the community getting to the bowl game for the first time in 57 years. So I'll never forget that game. That's probably the, the game that sticks out, even though it wasn't a postseason game, it, it sticks out to me because it led to that, that bowl game in 2017. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as like NCAA tournaments, uh, the baseball regional in 2022, that was, that was interesting because you're in Corvallis um, the place is sold out. Oregon State has Cooper Jerpy on the mound. And Jerpy's uh, a first-round pick. I think he was drafted 22nd overall by the Cardinals um, that year. And 
they weren't doing much against him, but we had Ian Mejia, who's in the Braves organization, and Mejia was he was dicing them up. And, on fire. Yeah. Um, we in 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 New Mexico State had Oregon State in the ropes at one point on ESPNU, and the college baseball world was watching New Mexico State, and it was a tough year. I mean, you know, things were not going well. I mean, they won twenty two games and limped into the postseason, and uh, so you know, I remember that that night in Corvallis, like it was yesterday, like, mm. you know, they had Oregon state in the ropes. We go to extras and, and just the week before that too, at the conference tournament tray, it was, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen um, how hot they got at the right time. Yeah. Cause they literally lent into the postseason. They had to win two out of three, their final regular season weekend to get in. They get there. I'm doing TV for the WAC in addition to radio for us. And I'm like, okay, I'll probably call a couple games on a radio. I can't imagine they're going to make a run. <laughs> they upset Sam, They upset Sam Houston on day one. I'm like, okay. You know, they win day two. I think it might have been Sacramento State. And they just keep on winning. And I'm just bouncing back and forth, booth to booth, because I'm doing TV on one booth, and I'm doing radio for our games in the other booth. And by the end of that week, I, my voice was shot because oh, I had been it. doing all those games. But I mean, I was, I was thrilled for him. I mean, it was, it was unlike any other thing I had seen um, calling games here, just that stretch <laughs> that they went on um, kind of out of nowhere. So I'll remember that a lot. And then of course, Teddy Allen in the NCAA tournament 37 against UConn was, was unbelievable. So um, individual performance. I mean, that's, that's up there. Yeah, no kidding. That was that was probably the one that I went most wild for was March Madness. We'd been there a million times and it's like right there. Overtime, two points, game, you know. And yeah. we finally got there. So that was really cool. Um, so you got to be a part of all of that, which is amazing. Okay, my final question for you um is what is your dream game to call? If you could pick mm. one game, maybe just an event, what would it be? I get that question um, pretty often, especially early in my career, because I think the the common question to ask somebody when you're doing this is, "What's your dream job?" And yeah, back early on, I'm I'm from St. Louis, and I told everybody, "Oh, you know, be the voice of the St. Louis Cardinals." Yeah. And as your career goes on, you understand that you can't pick jobs because some of them just don't come open. People spend their entire lives in these gigs. I mean, people, some people are in these jobs for 45, 50 years. So their um, entire adult lives, they're in one job. It's very common in this industry. Wasn't the Cardinals so you, guy you that? He Joe was. Buck Mike or? Shannon was J- Jack Buck. Jack, Jack Buck spent, um, I don't know how many years. And then Mike Shannon was the same way. Uh, Mike Shannon was there for 40 plus years. Ooh. And you, you just can't pick and choose where you go. And, um, I, I truly mean that, like, that's, that's, a, that's a thing. Like you cannot pick and choose where you go. You can't say, well, I want to be this. It's almost like you have to say, I just want to call games at the highest level. And that's, that's my goal. That's my dream now is just to do games at the highest level. Yeah. Um, probably, um, you know, I, I would probably say like a national championship in basketball or something like that. I think that would be awesome on my bucket list though, is, uh, getting Omaha yeah. uh, for baseball. I, I, you know, going to Omaha would be, um, so cool to do a game in Omaha. I've never been there as a fan either, but to get a uh, game in Omaha would be, would be really cool. So I think those, those two are probably at the top of the list. Um, you know, and, and just to do games that are important, that mean a lot to people, uh, about a month ago, early December, I, I did, um, um, 
I'm lucky enough where they allow me to freelance here. So I was in Pittsburgh doing the NCAA Division II Volleyball National Championships on television. And um, that was really cool because, yeah, it's Division II, but it meant so much to, you know, so many people there in, in those fan bases. Yeah. I mean, it was the culmination of a season at the D2 level. So that was really cool. And I took a lot of pride in that, that I got to do that this year. But, um, you know, I dream job, goal, all that kind of stuff. It's just to do games at the highest level. I think anybody, you know, if you're a player, you want to play at the highest level. If you're a broadcaster, you want to broadcast at the highest level where, where it really means something to people. And, um, you know, you, you can feel the crowd, the energy. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, this football season was the most fun I've ever had calling football here. And it wasn't because they won 10 games or they were really good. It was because every single home game we had, the energy was through the roof and it just elevates what you do. Right. I yeah. mean, if, if there's a couple thousand people there, it's going to be a tough game to call. But if there's 16, 17,000 screaming fans that are into it with cowbells and all that kind of stuff, forcing false start penalties and, and uh, it, it just makes my job easier and it makes my job more enjoyable. Yeah. You get to build off of that energy big time. A hundred percent. Yep. Adam, thank you so much for being on the show. I do appreciate it. I learned so much about what you do, yeah. and and uh, of course, I'll continue to watch what you do. Big NMSU guy, as you guys can see here. Um, I love it. But thanks again, and I wish you the very best of luck going forward. I'll I'll uh, be sure to check in. Appreciate you having me, Trey. Always good to see you.